Easter. It's the last weekend in Lent. And it's something called Palm Sunday. And for some of you, you came here tonight and you said, well, why on earth are they handing me these palms? I don't understand it. For some of you, you are like my kids and you're poking people in the ears with them. For some of you, you're very creative and you're artistic and you're making crosses out of them because somebody taught you how to do that. And if you know how to do that and you have a spare day, I'd love to learn because I'm not artistically creative or gifted at all. But the reason you're given this is because it's Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is this, this holy day, this incredible day, as Jesus and his disciples are, are going to make their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem for a very specific reason and a very specific purpose. It's the only reason he came into the world. His teachings, his miracles, his way of life, the love that he had, the way he expressed that was unmatched ever before that and ever since that. Nobody ever has been the type of person that Jesus was. But the reason he came into this world wasn't for that. The reason he came into this world was what he was heading to Jerusalem to do. To go and to give his life. Everything in his life, from the moment of his birth, everything had pointed him to this moment where he would go into Jerusalem and he would, he would give it all up. He'd hand it over. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're on a place called the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is not very far away from Jerusalem at all. It's a stone's throw. It's, less, it's a, mile, a mile to two miles at most. But in between the Mount of Olives and, and, and the holy city of Jerusalem, it's, there's a valley. And so Jesus and his disciples are, are on the Mount of Olives and they start to make this journey into Jerusalem. And they go in, down, in through the valley. I was able to be there just over a year ago and I was amazed at how symbolic this is. That where Jesus was going, what Jesus was doing was in this place of Jerusalem, it was... <laughs> The events that we're going to celebrate next week on Easter, it's the greatest thing that the world, it's the most transformational thing that the world has ever experienced. It's the greatest gift ever given. But he goes through the valley. And we do that, don't we? Sometimes even when we know that we're being called to something that's incredible and its, it's impact is going to it's going to leave an imprint that this world could never cover up. Sometimes we need to go through the valley. God didn't give it to us. God's not trying to make a point for us. But it's good for me to know that even when I go through that valley, that God has been there before. And he encounters me in that place. And he encounters you in that place. So Jesus and the disciples are descending through the Kidron Valley and they're going up to Jerusalem. And as they're going to make their way, all of the people who had heard him teach and heard him preach and, and had had the boldness and, and, and the courage to, to actually put their faith into him and give their, themselves the, the opportunity to actually maybe even believe it could be true. The prophets... The scriptures that they had learned their entire lives had, had po pointed to a moment that would look eerily similar to this. 
So as Jesus rides the donkey, as they go down, the people start to gather in a parade forms. The people lined the path, the road that would lead him towards Jerusalem. And people start to lay their coats down and they start to lay palm branches down. And they start to sing the praises of this incredibly different king. And they start to call out, praise God, which in the Greek, that word praise God, in the Greek it's Hosanna. Everybody say Hosanna. Now say it like it's not Sunday night. Say it, say it like it's, it's Hosanna! Hosanna! Which literally means save now. Save now. And it's an imperative. It's a proclamation that they're calling out because what this guy, what this God in flesh has come to do, what this person that God had sent into the world, this kingdom that does this, person was ushering in was going to bring them salvation and it was happening to them now and they were celebrating and singing at the top of their lungs the new life that was going to be given because when new life happens we celebrate don't we for for my wife Bridget and I this weekend has been full of experiences like this just in the last 24 hours, yesterday morning, some of our, our best friends, they actually lived next door to us. They had a little girl, her name is Josie, she was baptized yesterday morning at, at 11 o'clock. And so we all came here, we gathered here, and we celebrated the baptism. And all of their friends and their relatives had come, and we all gathered together. And, and as Josie was baptized, we celebrated the, the gift of life that was given to her that only God can give, and that nothing in all of creation can separate us from that life. So we celebrated. Praise God. Praise God. Blessings in the one who has come in the name of the Lord. We praise and we celebrated. And we went home and we gathered for lunch in their, in their garage, in their driveway, because isn't it beautiful outside right now? I mean, we could not get our kids to come inside today. They came inside right before I had to leave for church because we had to bathe them because the only thing that would have made them dirtier is to jump in a puddle. They're just coated from head to toe in dirt. I looked at them and I'm like, huh, how are you guys doing? Go ask your mom for help because I am hands off right now. So we went from outside at our neighbor's house and at the same time that we were celebrating Josie's birthday, our other neighbors pulled in and on Thursday morning, she had given birth to a little child. So as we're celebrating the gift that comes in baptism, our other neighbors pull in and everyone migrates over to say, praise God, this gift of life. Last night we got together with some dear friends of ours who were back in town and they'd been trying for over two years to, to have a child and it just wasn't happening and now she's just entering into her second trimester. Last night, Bridget and I were reflecting on just what a gift that life is. And when new life happens, we, we celebrate it. We praise God for it. The one who gives us life. Which is what the people were doing as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. Because he was offering them something that on their own, they could never, they could never obtain it. 
which is what Jesus does. It's the gift that he is. It's the gift that he offers. Not just to the elite, not just to, to those who deserve it, but he gives it to, to all people. And so we celebrate and we give God praise for it. So what we've been looking at this season of Lent, these 40 days minus the Sundays going into Easter, we've been doing this sermon series called I Am. Where we've looking at mostly at John's gospel. And throughout John's gospel, Jesus has all of these statements that he makes. He says, he says I am, and we started with John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Jesus tells the, the crowd that had gathered to, to hear about who he is. Jesus says, those who come to me and those who are joined to me, they will never thirst and they will never hunger again. Their souls will be satisfied. John chapter 8. Jesus encounters a woman who had been, who'd been caught in the act of adultery. And the, the law would say to her, that the penalty for that, the punishment, if she were to get what she deserved according to the law, she would be given death. And Jesus comes upon this woman whose sentence had been given and everybody had gathered to heap it on her. Jesus says, those of you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, the, the crowd leaves. And Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers now? Aren't any of them remaining? She says, no. And he says, neither do I accuse you. You have been set free. And everybody who would hear that, everybody who would hear those words of grace and forgiveness, they'd be so overwhelmed by it that it would cause them to question, who is this man? And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those who come to me, those who are joined to me, will never be in darkness again. I think about our brothers and sisters in the church in Egypt that was attacked overnight. These people came and celebrated Palm Sunday services. They, they lost their lives. Don't have to think just about the church in Egypt to think about the way that darkness is found in our world. But Jesus comes to the darkness and he pushes it back. Darkness conceals, light reveals, and Jesus says, I am that light. Step in to my love and I'll illuminate your life. John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the shepherd, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who lays my life down for, for my sheep. I sacrifice. I give everything I weigh so that you may have a, a, an abundant life. Jesus says in John chapter 11, the pinnacle of the, state, the I am statements, he comes upon the, the tomb of Lazarus, his friend that had passed away, and he calls him out. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That he stands at the door of death and he overcomes it. He says, those who belong to me, those who are a part of me, even though physically their lives may perish, which all of ours will, but eternity will be opened up. 
Last week, John chapter 14. Jesus says it's not just eternal life that I offer to you, but it's a life here and now. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Find direction in your confusion. You'll find truth that you can build your life on, and you'll find a life that nothing else can match, which brings us to this evening, John chapter 15. This portion of John's gospel is called the farewell discourse, where, where Jesus is literally giving his parting words to the people who, who were following him. Jesus knows that he's not going to be with them very much longer, so he, he's instructed. Literally, he's, he's getting ready to pass the baton on to them. And he knows that he has a limited amount of time, a finite amount of time to spend with them. So he wants to make sure that they're certain of a few things. And so he has this discourse, this speech, these parting words that he gives to, to those who would follow him. So they wouldn't lose their way. If you knew you only had a certain amount of time left with someone, what would you tell them? If you knew that, well, I think about it this way. Think about when I was given my driver's permit. I grew up in North Dakota. At the time when I grew up in North Dakota, you could get your learner's permit at 14 years of age. You just had to take three months of driver's training, and you could get your driver's license. One of my friends was driving to school by January of our eighth grade year. That's crazy. We all told our parents that Eric was an incredibly safe driver, but a 14-year-old shouldn't be driving a car without parents in the car. And I won't say that I did or didn't ride in the trunk a few times, but, you know, we were kids, and I'm amazed that we make it. We made it, I mean. So then I got my permit. And I remember when I started to learn how to drive, and my parents would be in the passenger seat. And when I first started to drive, my parents wouldn't let me listen to the radio because they didn't want me to be distracted. But I always wondered why my dad was keeping time in the car. While I, was, I was like, what, what beat is he stomping his foot to until I realized he was trying to hit a brake on the passenger side of the car that didn't exist. I said, Dad, that's not doing anything for you. He said, I still can try. But it was so hard for him to put it in my hands. I remember when I got my license. We drove home from the DMV and I walked into the car. I was in the house for all of 22 seconds before I left again. Because now I had freedom. I had my license. I could go wherever I want or so I thought. I could do whatever I wanted or so I thought. And there was a responsibility now that I held. And I remember as I was leaving the house that day, my dad told me, he said, Jeremy, what you hold in your hand with that driver's license gives you an incredible power. And just remember how great a responsibility that has. It's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15. He's reminding his disciples of who they are. And the incredible power and the incredible gift that they are. He has been their teacher. 
And he has imparted to them everything that it means to, to be a part of his kingdom. In fact, Jesus had told them that they would go on to do greater things than even he had done on this earth. That there was a power, there was a responsibility that had been imparted to him. He was an incredible teacher. It's probably 20 years ago. Do you remember the, the book, Tuesdays with Maury, came out? Anybody read that book? Incredible book. There's a guy by the name of Mitch Album who was a sports writer. And Mitch Album uh, had, a, had a teacher who was also a mentor who had been diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And as his mentor, Maury, was passing away, he had reached out to connect with Mitch. And from that point on, until Maury would pass away, Mitch would spend every single Tuesday with his mentor, with his teacher. And Maury started to teach him what it meant to live and to grab a hold of life. And Mitch would talk about how, how much his teacher reminded of him of how valuable he was. One of my favorite quotes from the book, he says, have you ever really had a teacher? One who saw you as a raw but a precious thing. A, a jewel that with wisdom could be polished to a proud shine. Have you ever had a great teacher who saw more in you than you could see in yourself? Who saw potential in you that, 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 that you had been blinded to that would tell you that this is who I see that you are and this is what I think that you could do with your life and, 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 and as best as you could try, you couldn't imagine they could ever see that in you. But they, they were relentless in their pursuit of reminding you of who you are. So Jesus is telling his disciples, and not just his disciples, but he's telling it to you and to me. John chapter 15, we could spend, we literally could spend two hours on this passage, this chapter in John's gospel. So everyone stretch really quick. It's going to be a late night. No, I'm just kidding. You're like, oh my goodness, this is my first time here. Two hours? No, we won't. But Jesus says, I am the vine. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. And one of the things that the gift that he reminds all of us is we get to stay connected. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And you need to stay connected to me. Not in order to avoid my anger because I love you. Sometimes we think that we need to stay connected to Jesus because in order to, to earn God's love and to earn Jesus' favor that somehow we need, it's all about what I do and so I need to stay connected so that God will give me. No. When Jesus, when Jesus says stay connected, abide in me, the, the word in the Greek literally is meno. It means to abide in, to, to remain in, to, to dwell in, to sit in, to find rest in, to be secure in. It's not exertion at all. 
It's respite. It's life. If you want to know where to find your stride in life, if you feel like you ever have found yourself in the hamster wheel of life, that you're running so hard just to try to stay still, that sometimes life just feels exhausting and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, that year after year after year, day after day after day, it's the same old song and dance. Jesus says, stay connected. Abide in me. I am the vine. I am the vine. I am the source of life. I am that which will provide nourishment for your soul. I do the work. I give the life. And all you need to do is stay connected to me. Because Jesus says, apart from me, not because he's angry. He says, apart from me, you can, you can do nothing. But staying connected to me, Jesus says, anything you ask for will be given to you. I remember when I was getting ready to, to go to seminary. Didn't go until I was 29 years old. I spent a lot of time wrestling with whether or not I wanted to be a pastor because I thought, who would ever want to be a pastor? So I finally went, and I had a, a mentor of mine that looked at me and said something that at the time I didn't understand. He said, don't let it take the life out of you. So what do you mean by that? He said, don't go and study so much about God and lose your relationship with him. All of the information you're going to learn is going to be wonderful and it's going to be great and it's going to have its appropriate place and its appropriate time. But don't do that at the stake of your relationship and staying connected to them. No matter how great and how well you may know theology, what good does it do if you don't know Jesus? Think about it sometimes when we use the Bible only as something to memorize for the sake of memorization. And we know the words, but we don't know the one who gave the words. Stay connected, Jesus said. I am the vine. You are the branch. And as a part of this vine, you'll be changed. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit as connected to the vine. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. When you're connected to the vine, when you remain, when you abide in the presence of Jesus Christ, you experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Who doesn't want more of that? Who doesn't need more of that? Who doesn't, when they see somebody who embodies this, say, how do I get some of that? How can this person, in, this, in the experiences of life that just don't seem to make sense, how can they seem to have such a calm and certain presence about them? It's because they're connected to the vine. We can't get this apart from Jesus Christ. We can't get 
a joy in the midst of our sorrows, a peace in the midst of chaos. Goodness in a world that sometimes can seem so dark, which allows us to do the second thing, and that's to produce fruit. But we got to keep those two things in order. We stay connected, which as an outflow of that produces fruit. And we need to remind ourselves of that so that we don't make it into something that we do to earn God's favor. I think sometimes we maybe will tell ourselves or somebody has told us that if we are a good Christian, then we will be able to do these things. And, and the demonstration and, and the evidence of our relationship with God are all of these things. And so in order to be that, I need to do that. And pardon my grammar, but we change it into a got to instead of a get to. In the freedom that I have and I receive in Jesus Christ, the freedom that I have when I stay connected to him, I'm free to be who I am and free to use the gift that's, gifts that God has given me to impact the world around me. That's what I love about this place. I don't think, don't miss here, I don't think that hope is any better of a church than any other church. But I have a lot of people that, that call and want to ask the question. They ask the question, how, how is hope doing what hope's doing? Stay connected. Number one, the number one value we hold as a church is Jesus' life. Jesus' life. The rest is details. Jesus' life. We stay connected to Jesus and we trust that God will produce the fruit, that God wants to produce the fruit through us. Whatever that may be. Stay connected. And as a response to that, our light shines. Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine before others, Jesus said, so they will, give, they will see your good works and give glory to your Father. So that when people see you and see who you are, they'll see the God that you point to. It's amazing. You know, I look around the worship center and I see 97 altar cloths. That's just crazy. Almost $400,000. Just wrap your mind around that. Almost $400,000 has been given in the last five weeks. That's not counting this weekend. $400,000 in five weeks for us? No. For people this side of heaven that we will never meet. Why would we ever do such a thing? Because we're connected. Because when you're connected to Jesus, you start to see the things that break his heart. And his heart is for. But it's not just the people in Ghana and West Africa, is it? 
It's also the people in our midst. It's in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is, is writing to people who are trying to learn what it means to be the body of Christ. Not to be the church, but to be God's people in the world. To be followers of Jesus in the world that they had found themselves in. And how do they organize themselves? And, and how do they look at themselves? And Paul uses this reference and this image of, of a body. He says, each of you. Each of you who are joined to Jesus Christ, each of you who have been awakened to the gifts that God has given you, you're one part of a body. And every single part of the body is placed exactly where it is on purpose for a purpose to shine God's light in the world. It's like a puzzle where every piece is necessary to complete the picture. Don't for a minute ever think that your peace is not important. It's incomplete without you. Not saying that in a flippant way. It's incomplete without you. It isn't finished without you. God didn't somehow create some kind of throwaway creation when God created any of us. God wasn't kind of somehow like, well, it doesn't matter how much the, they are fruitful and how much they multiply, and they're just kind of throwaways. No. Not, single, not one single one of us is like that. And God has created you just the way you are on purpose. And when you are connected to Jesus, the way that God can use you will impact the world that you, in ways that you could ever and never imagine. And you don't even have to do anything special. Just love. Just serve. Just do what comes naturally to you. Because there never has been, nor will there ever be another you in this world. And God can use you to share the message of the gospel with the world around you. It's the reason why we do campuses here at Lutheran Church of Hope. When, when Hope was first started, way back in the early 90s, it wasn't kind of like the vision from day one. But as this place, through God's grace, continued to grow, started to look at what, how do, we can't make this room bigger, nor should we. We started seeing places where people were gathered who didn't have a church home. So we didn't go and start a campus next door to another church. We started a campus where there wasn't a presence, where people who didn't know Jesus could come to know Jesus. So it started in Ankeny, our first campus. And then a few years after that, we moved downtown into Des Moines. Started another campus. And then a few years after that, there was a whole bunch of people that were coming here from the Johnston Grimes area. So we went to Johnston Grimes and, and we started a campus. And then just a few years ago, a couple years ago, we saw that there were so many people that were just coming from just, just 
10 to, 10 to 12 minute drive away from Waukee and we thought, well, 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 maybe God's calling us to start a campus there. And so now we're excited to announce that our next campus is, well, I can't tell you that quickly because that wouldn't be fun, would it? And really, in all reality, this is probably the worst kept secret in the world because when you have really good news, it's hard to keep it quiet, isn't it? But in case you don't know and you want to know, where the next campus is going to be and who the campus minister is going to be. Take a look. This is the moment we've all been waiting for, the big announcement. Hope's newest campus will launch on Sunday, August 20th in the city of... Go ahead and read it. Here. Wait, stop the music. There's been a terrible mistake. Uh, Hope's newest campus will launch in the city of Moonlight? But Moonlight's a movie, not a city. Okay. I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I was live tweeting backstage and taking selfies with the worship band, so I gave you the wrong envelope again. I'm, this, this shouldn't happen. Um, yeah, yeah, so. The real launch city for the newest campus of hope is ha, a land of pasta and magic, a place where students abound and research is king, a city of NBA stars, and soon and very soon, a city of hope. City of pains, are you shining just for me? City of aims, there's so much for us to see. Who knows? Is this the start of something wonderful and new? And one more dream that God's about to make true. How's it going? I was just singing. Yeah, I, I heard you over there. W what are you doing in Ames, Danny? Well, Mom called. She said that, you know, you're making a video for church, and I'm usually doing the goofy part, so just getting ready. Danny, when have I ever asked you to do the goofy part in a church skit? Well... Let it glow! Let it glow! Let's just get a little stretch going on right here. Oh, that's where it's at. I mean, maybe just a few hundred times. Well, Danielson, it's all been getting you ready for this, preparing you. Soon you'll be graduating from seminary, and you're more than ready to serve as the first campus minister for Lutheran Church of Hope. Whoa! Wow! Oh man! I am so excited to bring hope to this city and to this campus. And I will absolutely bring my amazing dance moves. Ready? Uh, no, Danny. It, it's like this. 
I see where you're going. Like this. How cool is that? <laughs> Praise God, huh? And if you just clap enough, he might just come out from here and join us on stage. Danny. Everyone say, hey, Danny. <laughs> so August 20th, we're going to start, you're going to start, <laughs> we'll be cheering, but August 20th, we're going to, so if you know anybody, Danny will be around after worship, he would love to answer any questions, uh, he's still as... As, as Mike told us on staff, he still has to finish finals, so we can't bug him yet. Uh, but in just a few weeks, he'll be done, and uh, we'll get hitting the ground running. And if you know any college kids, you know any college kids in Ames? 36,000 kids go to school in Ames. Wow, the harvest is there. And thank God we have somebody like Danny to answer the call, to be his piece in the puzzle, to shine the light of Jesus Christ into the world around us. So he'll be hanging out after worship. We'll be hanging out after worship. Because God has given us a call. God's given us a call that's really easy. To be who we are. First John 4.11, John writes, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, how much did God love us? Think about it. How much did God love us? He gave everything he had away. He gave everything he had away to set us free. And if God loves us that much, surely we ought to love one another, right? I mean, sometimes when we, we, we think about stay connected to Jesus and produce fruit, we make it so incredibly complicated. We make it like a 14-step process that we need to take all the steps correctly when all we need to do is to do what, church? Love. To do what? So all we have to do. To be who you are, where you are. To be a part of the body of Christ. To do what? To love. It's the one thing. It's the one thing that has the ability to transform a human life. The love that we celebrate from Jesus Christ. As you leave worship, you're going to get an Easter egg. And we ask you just, it's the simplest invitation in the world. Grab 10 of them if you want. And inside there's a little slip of paper with our worship times. Tell somebody, you know what? You should check it out. I always tell people, check it out once. If you don't like it, I'll never ask you back for the next day. And then I might, you know, I might start doing it again. But invite, because it's the one thing. It's the one thing. It's to love. It's to love not for our sake, but because Jesus loved us first.